Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Lindsay C. Green. Lindsay is a restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. This past year, she was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism for a body of work described thusly by her employer. Eye-opening, thought-provoking, mouth-watering. Lindsay's work brings fresh perspective and uncommon courage to readers hungry for brave dining criticism. She taps into Detroit's culturally expansive and unpretentious spirit as she reviews area eateries. She's also won an award as an emerging voice from the Beard Foundation, and her work can be seen in the book celebrating the year's best food writing. When she's not reviewing the cooking of others, she's growing her own food and developing recipes. And she's had a whole other career as a beauty editor. That might be the longest intro I've done. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, thank you for having me. So explain out of all of that what your journalism origin story is. Sure. Well, where do I start? So I went to Penn State. I graduated from Penn State. I studied print journalism. I actually did a double major in journalism and international studies. And uh, so my intention was always to get into journalism. I originally really wanted to be in in magazines and women's magazines. And that's ultimately where I ended up. My first job was at Ebony Magazine and started in the beauty and style department. So I really kicked off my career doing exactly what I thought I would always be doing. And then it evolved over time. And so, uh, yeah, I, I moved from magazine to magazine. I did some freelancing where I wrote for a few or several different publications. And eventually when I moved to Detroit, I uh, found myself at a local magazine. It was called Our Detroit. I was the managing editor there, and eventually that's sort of where I kind of got my food bug and started a position as a dining and restaurant critic, or I'm sorry, my title there was actually just dining editor, um, and I managed the food section for hour from month to month, and that was right before COVID started, so, you know, the way that I covered food changed pretty quickly there. And yeah, and now I'm at the free press. That's kind of a nutshell, but yeah, that's kind no, of yeah. that's a good synopsis. Is there anything in your heritage, family, childhood background that would have lent itself to writing, storytelling, critiquing, eating, and any of any of those? <laughs> eating for sure. <laughs> we were big, big eaters in my family. You know, I haven't really thought about that. I think my mom was a really great writer and and she wasn't you know not not any sort of formalized writing but she just had a beautiful way with words I remember she'd write really amazing cards you know for the all of the holidays and birthdays um she and I started a, a journal together we had this plan to write a book together and so she would write a chapter and then I would try and pick up where she left off and write another chapter and we didn't get very far I think we might have gotten two or three chapters maybe but I just remember she had such a beautiful way with words and also just really great penmanship too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it got passed down 
to you. Could younger Lindsay have ever imagined winning a Pulitzer or being a finalist? Right, right. Well, you know, I have to say, I think she could have, you know, I think that I have always been such a dreamer that I, I think as a kid, I definitely probably envisioned, you know, Pulitzers. And, you know, when I thought about going into magazines, I dreamt of being the editor in chief of a magazine, you know, being the next Anna Wintour. So I think younger Lindsay had big dreams. And so she probably did have that in her plan. And it wasn't until she got older <laughs> that she maybe started to dim that light a little bit. But yeah, I think as a kid, I I, I might have seen it. And just to add some perspective here, you're Afro-Latina, right? I am. So my mom is Puerto Rican and my dad is Black. You worked, as you mentioned, at Ebony Glamour and Teen Vogue for two years each, this kind of all leading up to what you're doing now. What was your biggest takeaway, either on a, a broad kind of perspective or specific to each of those in terms of working for such prominent publications? I I was at Teen, well, I was at each of those for about two years, except Teen Vogue, I was only there for about a year. And also in my role at the Free Press, I've actually only been in that role for about a year and a half now. But I, what I think when I look back on my career and all of the publications that I've worked at, I really think that I was able to take something different from each of those experiences that really contributed to the larger larger picture of being a journalist. So, you know, when I think back at Teen Vogue, my role was digital beauty editor. So I really gained a lot of experience learning about SEO and social media and, you know, everything that it takes to 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 be online these days. And when I think about Glamour, so I was specifically at Glam Bellesa Latina was the name of the magazine that I worked at. And it was produced out of Glamour Magazine's beauty department. And so it was a quarterly publication. And I think with that, again, really was able to focus specifically on beauty and also for a target audience being the Latin Latin community. But I was able to really work very closely with the beauty department and very closely with Cindy Levy, who at the time was Glamour's editor-in-chief. And so I, I learned a lot, you know, up close and personal for, you know, what it takes to produce a magazine. And then at Ebony, I was, I'm going backwards here, but at Ebony, I was Elaine Walteroth's assistant. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Elaine, but she's sort of a, a celebrity these days. She's a, you know, New York Times bestselling author. She is a host on Project Runway. She's become this big media personality. She also was the editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue. And so being so close to, you know, I was her assistant. So we worked together in a really small office, really shared an office. And it was almost like working with family. So I think being able to learn from someone who is just such a hard worker and who just inherently has really amazing journalism skills. I think I, I take that with me, you know, and I will take it with me, I think for the rest of my career. Sounds like you had great mentors. Yeah, for sure. What's Beauty Atlas? So Beauty Atlas was my magazine. It is a digital beauty magazine. My goal, even when I was in college, my and which is sort of why I double majored in journalism and international studies, was that I wanted to eventually be the beauty director of a travel magazine or an international magazine and really focus on 
beauty and fashion and sort of women's lifestyle subjects uh, from a cultural or an international perspective. And that position just didn't exist. And I, I don't even think it, it, it exists to this day. So my goal with Beauty Atlas was to create that position. And so I wanted to travel to other countries and really explore their beauty scenes, talk to women of different cultures and try and understand their beauty ideals. And, and so I did that with Beauty Atlas. I, I, I published three issues. My first issue was Bali. The second one was Cuba or Havana. And the third issue was Chicago, which is where I was living at the time and just wanted to explore my own, you know, neighborhood. Um, and I really just did a deep dive into, like I said, beauty rituals. I was able to tour, you know, spas and salons and nail salons and and just get a really intimate understanding of of women and their their sort of, like I said, beauty ideals. I love the idea of essentially speak the position into existence, yeah. um, which yeah. that, that's been a good theme on these episodes recently. So I, I presume that's a that's a point of advice that I would presume people can take from this. Definitely. And I also just think that we can, you know, you can you can create whatever it is you want to create, especially in such a digital age. You know, like I said, Beauty Atlas was a digital publication. Eventually it went on to win an award in London. At the digital digital magazine awards it was the uh, what was the the title it was uh, launch of the year i believe it was and so you know i think we can get creative you can really you know i think i grew up in a time where they said you know you have to choose beauty or fashion you have to choose you know once you're on the beauty path you can't turn out of that and i think we're in an era of second lives right and and pivots and and you can you can make whatever you want. <laughs> so I think I, I'm really an advocate for just saying, you know, follow your interests and your talents and, and see where it lands. That's great. So on the about page on your personal website, there's a picture of you making a salad. And I would describe the expression on your face as that of joy. You wrote, food has always been my comfort and an art form that I draw great inspiration from. It's the passageway into every culture, the bridge to every locale. What was the bridge for you from beauty writing to food writing? Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, I thought back about when I was traveling for Beauty Atlas and, and just when I travel in general, I realized that I was, you know, doing some things that were really for work and some things that I was just doing for myself. And what I realized is the first thing I would do when I traveled was look for coffee shops or look for restaurants or look for bars. And really, I just was looking for food. I was hunting for where I would eat or, or grab, you know, a drink or a coffee. And so... I think the bridge just was following what I really, really was interested in and what I really was passionate about. And at some point, it wasn't what I thought it was. And and food felt familiar. Food felt comforting. It felt like home for me. So it was kind of a natural bridge to get there. And and I find a lot of similarities in terms of writing between beauty and 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 food, just because it is, you know, you're still it's still a medium of the senses, right? We're talking yep. about taste or in some cases with beauty, you're talking about scents for perfume, for example, or fragrances. I like to say that, you know, it's not too different to to call out, you know, a, a Madagascar vanilla from a, from a fragrance 
in the same way that you would in a dish, you know, calling out some sort of ingredient. So sure. uh, it doesn't feel too foreign, but but it was a little bit of a jump. What are the things about food that inspire you? Really anything, everything, everything inspires me. I mean, I think there are things and I've become more attuned to it now that I'm in this role, but I think there are things that happen every day that I think that could be a food story and it doesn't necessarily pertain to food immediately. You know, I think that food is just such a central part of our lives and our day to day that I can be inspired by anything and think of food. So in Detroit, for example, we have a really interesting, what's the word I'm looking for? Our energy source is very interesting. So anytime it rains, we get a lot of power outages here. And so this week we've gotten, you know, a few rainy days and a lot of, you know, tens of thousands of people are without power. And so I just was thinking, well, what does that mean for us food wise? You know, what are people doing with the food in their refrigerators when every time it rains, there's a power outage. And so that's a story, right? That's a food story that wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily think of automatically. So I can be inspired by, by just about anything. That's great. That that shows you how intensely a beat can be covered, that essentially you're always thinking of, of ideas yeah. that, that fit within it. You wrote in your first article for the Free Press, or I think maybe this is one of your first, once you sink your teeth into, into Detroit, your palate will be forever changed. What are Detroit's food strengths? Well, I think when I was, when I said that, I meant more of, I guess I was being a little hyperbolic, but I just think <laughs> that Detroit as a as its own it will change you and i think it changes me every day you know i think being here in detroit i have become a person who is a little bit more aware of humanity in ways that you know growing up in new york i i didn't have to think about i think if you if you pointed to detroit on a map or michigan on a map i'd be like what's that where you know when you're when you grow up in new york you don't have to know anything outside of new york <laughs> But I think being here, it's it's changed me just in that there's such good people and people who are really aware of, of you know, being kind to others and, and compassionate toward others. And so I think that's what I was thinking about when I wrote that. But, but Detroit's food scene, you know, I've been here now for almost six years. It really has changed dramatically. It's grown, it's evolved. It's a really beautiful scene. And I have to say, you know, between being from New York and eating out in New York a lot, living in Chicago, which is another huge food city, traveling around the world for, for most of my life, I really believe that Detroit's food scene can compete with some of the best food cities in the country. So one of the primary pieces in the package of stories that you sent for Pulitzer consideration was a year in review uh, mm -hmm. of your first year as a food critic for the free press. And it became more of a piece about how America overlooks black women in upscale dining circles. Can you explain what you experienced and, and just summarize the piece and then I had a couple of questions related to it. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it it it's not limited to my experience as a restaurant critic. I think I have experienced this sense of not being remembered, not being recognized my entire career. But I think it it was 
it was most relevant uh, being a restaurant critic because, you know, everyone has that perception of the critic that goes into a restaurant anonymous. And, you know, there are so many stories that people laugh about when they hear that restaurant critics have had to go in disguise and get dressed up and change their names and use different credit cards just for the sake of trying to, you know, stay under the radar and have a true, either to have a true dining experience or so that they don't get thrown out of a restaurant. <laughs> um, but for me, what I noticed, and, and it was interesting, you know, I, I, I went to dinner with the former restaurant critic for the Free Press, who's a good friend of mine now. And we went out to eat and, and a diner came up to him and introduced herself and said how, you know, how grateful she was for him and his work and his words in the paper. And then the, you know, restaurant owners came over and they talked to him and they sent over some, you know, compliments of the chefs. And, and I just thought, man, well, this is a, you know, I hate to say it bluntly, but like, this is a pretty, you, he, he's a white man. He's a, he's a 30 something year old white man who probably looks like more people in this room than I do. I'm going to really have to hide myself when I go out to eat. Like, you know, if I'm in this role, they're really going to know exactly who I am. I won't be able to hide. And, and it turned out I didn't have to do that. You know, I'd go to restaurants and people wouldn't recognize me. The chefs who I had met and interviewed several times in person presented awards to them for some of the dinner series that we host. You know, I'd still walk into the room without, you know, without my business cards or without, you know, an award in my hand for them. And they had no idea who I was. They just, I was just another average diner. And so I, I just kind of, yeah, I just kind of shared that observation and questioned, is it me? Is it, you know, is it the fact that I wear my hair curly sometimes and sometimes it's straight or sometimes I wear it out and sometimes it's in a bun? Is it that I wear my glasses sometimes and sometimes I don't? You know, is that why people aren't recognizing me because maybe I'm a little bit of a chameleon? Or is it something a little bit more sinister? You know, is it that traditionally we have revered white men in this position and you don't see someone like me in that role and so therefore when I walk in the door I'm unremarkable and I'm not somebody that they would expect to be in the position that I'm in so I just kind of explored my own identity you know questions and concerns and also posed that larger question of maybe it's not me maybe it's something else when you write a personal piece like that, I read it and I was like, wow, that must have been an intense, an intense one to write. What was the experience of writing it like? Painful. Okay. <laughs> Painful. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, because there are the questions, I have my own questions of maybe it is me, right? And I know that our readers tend to squirm when you talk about race, when you propose that something could be you know, a result of racism or biases or, you know, some of those issues. When you bring that up, it, it makes people uncomfortable and, and people who don't believe that that's even a possibility, they, um, you know, react really harshly to that. And so, you know, as I'm writing, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I think you write for the comments and you also write from the experience. And sometimes those two ideas don't align and you can I, I know I could find myself arguing you know arguing 
the commenters' points, arguing my own points, and and almost talking myself out of things. But I just decided to write from my experience, pose the questions that I have, and not look back. That piece was written in December of 2022. Has anything changed in the six months since? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it has changed since the Pulitzer announcement or recognition and since the James Beard recognition. I now am, am very much recognized, not just by people in the restaurant industry but i've been stopped on the street i've gone you know to get a drink and had people stop me at the register i've had lots of people are recognizing me now which i didn't i didn't think about that part when i was yeah, writing gotcha so i'm very curious about the mechanics of this and this goes back to an episode that we did where i talked to a theater critic calundra smith and we talked about the mechanics of reviewing place and i'm curious how does one go about reviewing a meal like how many visits how many people come with you what are you looking for how do you take notes how much of the meal do you do you eat what's the process like all those sorts of things can you fill us in sure so i try to go at least three times to a restaurant i traditionally i'll eat with my husband Sometimes I'll, you know, switch it up and bring a friend or if I've, you know, obviously go a few times, I'll try to bring different people. I'll try different pieces of the menu or like, you know, try to try to touch all aspects of the menu. So appetizer, entrees, desserts, drinks, if they have wine, you know, a wine list I'll take a look at. I also try to think about the dishes that they are, you know, the restaurant is known for or the, or the cuisine that they're trying to represent. You know, I won't go to, let's just say, I don't know, a Chinese restaurant and get some sort of, I don't know, fried chicken dish. I really want to <laughs> get a dish that's going to be reflective of, of what they're trying to achieve there. And I, sometimes I'll leave my recorder on when I sit down just to get sort of room tone, you know, to remember what it sounded like so that I can also just, you know, say little notes into my phone without having to jot, jot things down, get, you know, songs that are playing really just sort of like atmospheric. And yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, 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 the gist of my process. That's very, very cool. I remember when we talked to Calundra Smith, she was talking about the detail with which she records the ambiance and the people around her and mm -hmm. just observing as much as she could. And having the, the recorder on the whole time certainly allows you to do that. Is there a review that you're particularly proud of? I think I would say I published one review that I'm only saying that I'm proud of it because it's a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I did publish a review that was sort of negative, you know, just shared my critique of, uh, of, of this restaurant in a, in a way that wasn't, you know, a glowing review. And I think I'm, I'm proud of it because I really was honest. I really also, you know, gave the benefit of the doubt when I could. I went several times. I think I was able to show different pieces of of the restaurant to to really 
sum up the story. You know, it wasn't just about the food, but it was the ambiance. It was, you know, snickering that I'd heard, you know, among the the wait staff. It was the larger context context of the ownership behind the restaurant. And, you know, some people reached out and said that they were really grateful for the review because they were, it was refreshing to hear an honest take. You know, I think people do appreciate that. So I'd, I'd say that's one. Have you had situations where you've been confronted by people who own or run restaurants? Oh, for sure. I mean, that one, yeah. <laughs> that how, one. Do you, how do you handle things like that? I think as law, I, that's my thing. I, in, in, in real life, I'm not a very confrontational person at all. And so it it is a little scary for me to to be honest when I'm not totally happy about something. But I think I, I just remind myself, you were honest, you told the truth, um, and you did it in a way that was respectful and not bashing. And so I think when when they reach out, I just respond with my truth. That's that's all I can do. Imagining the the college student that might be listening and thinking about, all right, how do I write a food review? Like how do I organize what I want to include in it. How would one go about that? Well, honestly, I, I mean, and I'm still working on this, but I try not to follow any rules. You know, I think that, I think get all of your thoughts out, get everything out from, you know, from the feel of the space, from the, the taste of the food, you know, the overall experience, the decor, all of that get it all out there and if there's a story that that there is to tell about your experience there if it's one instance that you know really stands out where you have a story that you can tell about being there tell that story i think don't try to approach it with a formula just really try to try to speak from your experience and see where it takes you and then you you, you find that when you do that you can always go back and edit it right you can rearrange and you can add little details that you might have missed but but once you get it all out there that's really the that's that's really the place to start now you don't just do reviews of restaurants but you write a lot of other types of pieces too people features you wrote a piece about tipping you wrote about robot servers and that potentially being the future for good or for bad you wrote about how these great restaurants in Detroit lack diversity among their patrons. You wrote about restaurant workers who thrive in other jobs. How do you, you kind of already mentioned this, but how do you like plan out your coverage? You know, I think again, it really just is following, following what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. You know, I, I think one thing I do try to keep in mind, and I actually think that this is part of, I believe, and I don't know if that's true, but I believe that it's part of the reason that I've been recognized by, you know, Pulitzer and and James Beard. But I think I do think nationally, right? I try to see how Detroit fits within the larger context of the food industry across the country. And so, you know, we talk about a lot of things before it gets to Detroit. And so once it's here, I'm excited to 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 be able to share how we fit into that larger narrative. So things like robot, you know, robot servers, we saw that in, in New York and LA and in and, and bigger cities. And so when I'm always keeping an eye out for when it gets here. And I think, but then at the same time, being a local journalist, really trying to also capture what's true to Detroit specifically. And so Whenever I can highlight, you know, a small restaurant that's that's that really represents the culture here, 
I, I think that it's important to do to do that as well. I will say that from a personal perspective, it's the pieces that I've seen on tipping and and things that are essentially related to food staff wages are important. And it's good to always see them. I can tell you that it's changed how I approach tipping. So one thing I noticed is that you have a food newsletter as well. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we just launched a new food newsletter. It's called Eat, Drink, Freep. And it actually was born out of the Free Press had a a food-related Facebook group. And it was exclusively for anyone who's interested in learning more about the food industry and you know, beyond our coverage of of food content, it's, you know, just a place for us to share all kinds of food stories and food happenings in Detroit and also beyond. And so we started the newsletter, I'd say maybe, maybe a month ago now, I can't even keep track, but it, it's another opportunity, just another touch point into our, into our food content and also an opportunity to offer some exclusives. So, you know, if I'm, for example, on Monday, I went to a restaurant that had been closed for a bit for renovations, and I was able to give a little bit of a sneak peek to our readership in that newsletter on, you know, what it's like in in the new dining space, the new private dining room, and some new menu items. So that was the intention with that. Cool. Essentially bonus bonus coverage. Right. What skills does one need to become a food critic? I think... You've got to be observant. I think you've got to be really curious and paying attention to the details that people don't really pay attention to because it's so much more than just this dish tastes good or it's bad. You know, it's so much more than that. I think that you've got to be descriptive. I think people want more than savory you know what does that mean or it's sweet what does that mean you really want context to to get people to understand what a dish tastes like yeah I think those are the I think those are the probably the three biggest observant descriptive and uh, what was the third thing I said um (laughs) I think it was observant and descriptive actually curious curious is my oh oh, gotcha So, all right. So that that's, and again, those are largely, those are very journalistic principles, certainly. How do you view your role as a journalist in today's world? I see myself as someone who needs to, or who sees a value in reflecting the times, right? I think that there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot that we're talking about. There's a lot that's really important to talk about. And I think to think that you can't talk about those things in a food context is misguided. I think that there's a way to cover things like diversity and equity and I don't know, social issues. I think I think there really is a way to talk about that through the context of food. And, and, you know, I think you, you mentioned it earlier, but food is such a, it's such a, it is a bridge into all the other cultures, right? Not just through the ingredients where you can say, oh, this is grown, you know, in this part of the world, or this is cultivated in this part of the country. But also it's a way that you can relate to people from different backgrounds and and their traditions. It's kind of like what I was, you know, wanting to do with beauty. I get to do that through the lens of food now. 
So that's that's what I see. I see myself as as someone who, yeah, maybe food is my beat, but the larger the larger context is often beyond food. That totally makes sense. I know that you grow your own food too. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, that's something that I've recently become passionate about. And it's a little bit of me being sort of obsessive compulsive. But I wanted to, when, when, I, when I started writing about food, I really wanted to immerse myself into the food scene. And so one of the ways to do that was really to start at the the start of the food system, right? So starting from growing food. And I just, I just love it. I love being out in my garden. I love learning about new plants. I love getting to, you know, see what food is like before it's manipulated, you know, and it's natural raw state, like how delicious is that? I mean, you've never tasted a tomato until you've had it out of, you know, your own garden. So yeah, it's just something that I've become really, really passionate about and plan to do more with it in the future. Is that a good way to to work to manage your mental health to work on on that and kind of get away from the 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 intensity of the the reviewing process? Definitely. It you can get lost in the garden and in in the best way. You know, it's a great place to sometimes, you know, throw my podcast on or music on and get lost and next thing I know it's dark outside or sometimes <laughs> just to not have anything going and be able to really just have my hands in the soil. I really I my personal belief for me is just that growing food is a spiritual thing and I think that it's 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 helped me to be healthy and in, in a lot of different ways you know physically mentally emotionally spiritually all of the things it's a workout you know it's physically it really is like I, if I don't go to the gym I'm like well at least I got into the garden and I know that I can I'll be sore tomorrow there's just so many so many benefits I presume that you would recommend being a food critic to others who are interested in in doing so is there a void in the industry that one of one of my colleagues that used to join me on this podcast, she would always ask this question: Is there a void in the food critic criticism industry that a young person could fill? Definitely, definitely, and I and I think even more so at a place like a newspaper. You know, I think that young people bring this fresh a fresh perspective. They bring fresh skills that you know we didn't have a long time ago i i'm i would consider myself still pretty young but you know i didn't have all of the social media that that young people have today and it's such a it's such a resource that journalists utilize and and need in their day-to-day -day work in this in this new in this new environment so i think yeah i think that young people bring a lot. They there. There's a lot that they could bring to the table as you know, writers in general, but particularly in food criticism for sure. You've offered several pieces of advice throughout this interview regarding the skills that are needed to become a food critic, how you would approach it going into a, a restaurant. Is there any other advice that you would have for someone that wanted to pursue this or pursue any of the fields that you've been interested in? And I don't have big advice. I think just do it, do it, you know, just do it. Don't question it. See where it takes you. If you love it, 
awesome. Continue to pursue it. If you don't change course and don't be afraid of that, I think wherever your, um, it sounds cheesy and cliche, but wherever your heart is taking you, wherever your passion is taking you, wherever your talents are taking you, I think just follow that and don't question it and don't be deterred by people who might try to stop you from it and just see see where you land. And speak what you're looking to do into existence, certainly. Totally. So the show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work and ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization, preferably one that you're not affiliated with, that you would like to salute for their good work? Yeah, the, the first person who comes to mind, and I'm sure there are many, but the, the one is Alicia Kennedy. She is based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I just, I admire her so much because I think her, her, perspective is very clear you know she had been writing about veganism for a long time she talks a lot about political issues and she she does it in a really smart way but she's also kind of she's a great example of what I've been talking about which is just just doing it you know I think she's she's she her career has taken her to places that I never really thought of as I as I started on this food writing path, you know, she teaches a course at a university. I'm I'm drawing a blank right now. I think it might be might be Boston University, but you know, she teaches a course there. She's writing a book. She is is she has her own Substack, which is something we didn't talk about. But again, in the in the same vein of just doing it, just writing. You know, it used to be start a blog, just do it. Substacks are, are really the future, and she's done a really great job of building an audience there for herself without necessarily having to rely on a you know a big publication. And I just I admire that so much because her her voice is clear, her vision is clear, and it's taken her to some really huge huge spaces. So that's the the first one that that comes to mind. Sounds like we would say the same about you. Lindsay C. Green, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck in your work. We'll certainly be following it closely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.